So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is Ian Joseph. As always you can find us on social media. Yep, so on Facebook it's just simply at Folk on Falcons, you'll see our picture. And Twitter exactly the same, at Folk on Falcons. And if you'd like to send us a direct email, it's folk on falcons at mail.com so we didn't just give up this week it was rather tempting to given the match but um we had long bank holiday weekends and life got in the way of the podcast so apologies for it being a couple of days later than usual actually given given us a bit more to talk about um some more stuff's gone on in the rugby world so um yeah we'll we'll jump into it first things first um I think the less said about the game, the better. I think the highlight of it was Alex Tate leaping like a salmon to collect kickoffs, but then it got a bit boring after the third time. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's probably the highlight of the game. Also, I think actually went the decent amount of period where it was only 12-3. Uh, you sort of thought, well, actually, yeah, I mean, you know, we're probably going to lose this even at this stage, but you thought, well, Puerto Rico kind of account of ourselves it's pretty close you know you never know sort of thing um but i guess it was the sim bidding of hardy which i think really sort of let the floodgates open wasn't it because actually the two tries they got for that but were simply just a rolling wall from the lineup drive wasn't it and you kind of think well you know some if a team's on point with their rolling more you know how do you stop that and credit where it was due in terms of an open play we looked really good in defense and it wasn't until we were down to 14 that they did kind of start to sort of take advantage and really sort of turn it on and find the gaps that to be fair to us weren't there until we went down by one man so credit where it's due there but yeah i mean well once once hardy went off yeah, as I say, floodgates open. There was only kind of the one-way traffic just sort of setting from that point. Yeah, and I, I guess um, second half wasn't pretty once the floodgates did open, but um, I think it just shows uh, how ruthless Premiership is and how ruthless teams need to be that end up top of the league. I'd, I'd like to think that if Falcons ever got their foot in the door like Exeter did, then we'd do the same. But I think that just the, the calibre of players says something quite different about the two squads. Yeah, well, I mean, it's... It, in some ways, it's very different to make the comparisons because, I mean, it, quite obviously, we were playing a B-slash-C team. They had to take it as seriously as possible because they wanted their home semi-final and beating us would make sure of that, so they had their best team out. And I think what summed it up was we were bringing Hayden Wood on just to kind of give them experience, sort of throw him in the deep end, and they were bringing on Hogg. And, you know, that that doesn't necessarily show the way it does show the difference between the squads in general, but really, I think, more importantly, show the difference between the squad selected actually on the day. Um, our agendas were very, very different. We just kind of wanted to fulfil the fixture and kind of give players who have been on the fringe this season a bit more experience in game time, and they really kind of wanted to go for the jugular and get that semi-final, well, home semi-final berth. And, you know, it turned out in the in the extreme, really, for both of that. I know when the team sheets were released, um, we raised a few eyebrows. I understand why it was done. And I know that Richard has come in for quite a bit of criticism for it, but I think in all reality, we wouldn't have got anything from the game. So I can see why he did it. But then getting thrashed by 70 points, it's, a, it's actually made our points difference worse than the teams around us when it was 20 points better before the game. And... Um, effectively we lost a point in that match we didn't just end up with nothing we lost a point I don't think even he would have envisaged it going quite as badly as it did but hey ho case or sera yeah I mean that's pretty much it isn't it uh, at the end of the day you know I, I've seen the comments as well a lot of criticism as you say for Dean Richards and the coaching staff but it's top flight professional sport with a six day turnaround and including a trip down to Exeter with two much more winnable games coming up completely 100% understand why he did it but you know I think we can really 
necessarily fully brush under the carpet you know to be humiliated like that it's just obviously a very very bitter pill as well for anyone associated with the club um supporters you know don't say that they um the least so you know it was what it was it was we kind of expected something like that but not to that extent and yeah i mean i well, we'll see if some of the, the points difference really matters in the season. But it is, I mean, it, it was a little bit of a gamble because you kind of want to, no one wants to be hammered. I mean, I'm sure he expected us to lose and everyone did expect us to lose. But as you say, I don't think anyone would have expected by quite the same scoreline. Even seeing the two teams, it, even sort of 50-odd points would have probably been more realistic. But, you know, it's done now. We've just got to move on to what I'll eminently more winnable games and hope I suppose the, the big points difference deficit now isn't going to play too much of a factor which I probably won't to be honest. Yeah and um, one more thing on this, everyone on that pitch is trying to make it as a rugby player at the highest level and quite frankly a lot of the squad weren't teenagers they were people in their 20s who are striving to be professional rugby players and you can't be a professional rugby player and complain about being played in the premiership because it's the pinnacle of what you can do in English sport um, apart from playing for the national side and if these people aren't good enough to play at that level then Falcons isn't a charity we should let them go and I think that there's a few players where you have to scratch your head a bit and others I think actually showed that they, they, they were alright um, it was one of those funny ones where at the end of the match you thought yeah we got thrashed but there's a couple of players that could still walk off that pitch with their head held high yeah I mean I don't think actually if you look at any initial performance we were that bad I mean it's obviously incredibly difficult to judge and I think we there is a lot of praise can be given especially for the first part of the first half where we were kind of holding our own at 12 as I say before the uh, the sim bidding but yeah I, I mean in terms of the team that was out I mean to be honest if that team was out in the championship last season you know I think we still would have thought oh you know it's not particularly that strong in a lot of areas so to have it obviously being played against the current champions and of course you still quite easily retain the the, the league title this season um is going some I mean the squad is what it is we know everyone knows that a lot of these players probably can't quite cut it at regular sort of premiership level and then yeah the question we raise so well you know what are they doing there but I guess that's in many ways that's kind of going to be the nature of any squad that has been promoted from the championship you're going to get well to put it harshly deadwood I suppose in the squad but then again you know it's the old thing well if you don't play players how do they improve that sort of thing you know maybe some of these players it's hard to see how but the game time may could have may well have sort of been a good experience for them somehow just get a bit of match sharpness fitness a bit of sort of exposure to how good it can be you know you don't know but you know that the squad's there to be used and again i have no real qualms about how it was used at the weekend but at the same time of course it's it was obviously not a particularly enjoyable watch yes i guess um if we get five points against worcester and absolutely thrash them then richards will be somewhat vindicated and we i guess we're, we're going to play as strong a team as we can possibly get out and hopefully that means that it'll be a similar team as played two and three weeks ago and yes if we if we pull that off then we're just about in it but i think we've got to we've got to look at kind of the the west country stitch up which has occurred since the weekend that being Gloucester and Bath having their game abandoned for COVID. So this weekend, Gloucester are going to end up with two points and Bath four. Both of those teams being immediately above us in the Premiership. And it makes this ambition of the top eight that little bit trickier. And I think we've realistically got to get 10 points in our last two games now to, to have any chance of um, finishing the top eight. And it's a bit more out of our hands than it previously was. Yeah, we've said it right at the end there. I think before the, the COVID stitch-up... Um, 
it was sort of in our hands. I think if we got 10 points, you know, we probably would have been well in the mix then. You know, of course, obviously depended on, on other results and, and whatnot, but it just makes it that, and it was already going to be an incredibly difficult task, I think, and that's the Bath getting four points there is really kind of, I mean, we would have to go ahead of Gloucester anyway, but for Bath to get the four points is really kind of makes it sort of one step too far, I think. Um, I mean, all we can do is just kind of go out and give it a go. I mean, minimum is we obviously we have to try and pick up five points home to Worcester um, to even have any sort of remote chance. Uh, personally, I think the probably the, there's two factors being the killer for the top eight chances, and that is the implosion against Wasps and Gloucester. Even if we'd won one of those games, it would be a massive help. And I think the fact that we were unfortunately given COVID loss points away to Worcester when other teams obviously have been mostly pretty successful picking up four or five points against Worcester. Um, so obviously we don't have the opportunity to have to do the double of Worcester like most of the other teams have so far this season. So I think that those two factors have just really sort of hindered us. I think it's just going to be, as I say, one step too far. Yeah, and I think it's also worth mentioning, I think Worcester playing Gloucester is the last match of the season, so we expect Gloucester to end up with um, five points out of that one. So in the last two games of the season, Gloucester are going to get seven points, and they're currently two points ahead of us. And their points difference before the weekend was 30 points worse than us, and now it's 40 points better. So there we go. Definitely um, we're up against it. One other thing that has to be said is a lot of the teams, basically from fifth downwards, are playing each other in the last two weekends. And that that could go in our favour. It could mean that the teams that are already in fifth and sixth and seventh perhaps end up getting eight points or whatever from the last two remaining fixtures. But it could mean that everyone wins one. And then we're going to end up kind of adrift, even if we win both of ours. Yeah, well, I mean, as you say, I mean, that could be the same grace. The fact that everyone sort of down there is is playing each other the next couple of weeks. Really, I suppose, probably except us, really, um, which kind of that's, that's kind of our, our one sort of last sort of straw of hope, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we still need to obviously do our bit and get out of four absolute minimum nine preferably really needs to be 10 points from from those games um but as you say you know those teams above us are still going to pick up points and it, it does only take a few of them to pick up a few points and it's probably just going to be too much yeah one thing to also take note of is harlequins as current situation because obviously we got them last game of the season this weekend they're playing sale so if they lose to sale this weekend which is quite possible then the last game of the season they'll have nothing to play for and hopefully they kind of do what we did last week where they play their C team to preserve their players for the semi-finals they'll have nothing to play for and to me that would seem a logical move for them just got to hope cross all our fingers and toes that um, Sale do a, do a number on them this week yeah I think you're right I mean I would expect them to not play a, their strongest team I mean even if they do have a poor cup well if, if as you say even if they do have a poor result against Sale then I don't I would still be inclined they probably would just not play the strongest team against us because they've got to save the best players for the semi-final no matter what. Um, but I think you're right in that maybe we should be sort of trimming on sale this weekend just to make sure they do absolutely have nothing to play for. Um, <clears throat> but I think it probably, it could also depend on what we do against Worcester. I mean, you know, we can't take it for granted. You know, we've got to pick up the, the win and the five points and then we've got to look at Harlequins and kind of approach that in, in a way that we think is going to be best because, you know, we I suppose either way, we're going to have to sort of go all out, but it may depend on, you know, if we lose against Worcester, then, you know, well, there's a dead rubber, isn't there? You know, how do we approach that? What team do we pick for that? Does Richards then use opportunity to, again, play some more of the fringe players? So, you know, we can't take Worcester for granted. Um, they're not having to play for. We've had some pretty dire games against them over the past few years. I mean, I think it, it's not 
and reasonable to say, well, you know, we would be favourites for that, and I would expect us to to win, especially with a home crowd as well. But you know, we'll just have to see. And as I say, we have to not only have results at the bottom league go for us in terms of that eight top eight, but also got to hope, as you say, Sale do a number of Harlequins so we could get a bit of a helping hand by them playing a hopefully a weakened team. Yeah, right now I think there are more permutations to the league table than there are combinations to the national lottery. So I'm not going to bother trying to work it out this week quite what we need to do, but. Um, certainly next week we'll have a very good idea of which results need to happen and what needs to go on for, for us to end up with the, the Heineken Cup possibility. So another bit of uh, nice news about the Worcester game, obviously fans are in attendance again. Is it slightly more than last time we were allowed? It is. So I think it's two and a half thousand this time, which um, might well make, make a good positive difference, actually. I mean, obviously there's an extra thousand supporters in there. Um, another thing I do want to say is that getting a ticket this time was mostly easier, I think, than the first time. I think they, they sort of smoothed out the the, the operation by, uh, by by last weekend. Uh, I managed to get mine a bit easier than I did for the, the Northampton game. Um, but yeah, um, obviously there, there is a bigger crowd now, and I mean, surely that's only going to help us. Um, as I said last time, I mean, in some ways, it kind of felt like there were more there than there were. So, obviously, having the extra thousand there is only going to add that even further. And I think, you know, we're, we're going to have a full, a pretty fullish south stand. And, you know, I think that the west stand is going to look pretty decently filled as well. Um, I thought even last time, even with the enforced gaps, there was a good good spread of fans. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a really good site and it should be a really good way to end the season. Off the pitch, there's been quite a lot of news at Kingston Park in the last week or so. Not so much comings and goings, but more contract extensions. There's been a couple that have caught my eye. Um, which ones in particular have you noticed? Well, I, I mean, it's, there's been a whole flurry there, isn't there? I know we mentioned Peterson in the last podcast, but, you know, we've had Chick, we've had Wakoke Koke, uh, Collett um, and Tampin. And then actually, sort of maybe arguably the most surprising, but perhaps maybe not surprising uh Carreras just today today being Wednesday have announced from the club that they've they've agreed another one-year extension so obviously he's been given a, another chance maybe his cameos have been enough to sort of impress the coaching staff that there, he does have more to offer but yeah I mean I think they've all been quite positive I don't think you can say I, I mean I know Carreras at the moment is a bit controversial but certainly for the rest of them I don't think you can really sort of say that they're, they're not worth signing up I think all of them have sort of earned those contract extensions and couple of them you know i know on the fringe but they, they do look like they do have something to offer and i think particularly uh wakoke koke for example has really stepped up this season i mean yes he scored a lot of tries in championship but in the premiership he doesn't really look out of place and i think as the season gone on he's really sort of looked more and more perhaps even sort of starting material um and i think even these players that in many ways the more you play and can, can only get better yeah um i think aside from five seconds of stupidity by carreras Every single one of those players has earned that position. Even Carreras in the time when he wasn't sticking his fingers in people's eyes, he was playing very well. He was making an incisive, exciting breaks, which is what you want from a drinky little winger. And then we've mentioned the the, the back rowers, second rowers and front rowers. That they've all really stepped up the season and proved that they haven't just got this contract um, extension to fill places. They've got it on merit and... It looks very promising for the future. Yeah, I mean, I was quite pleased to see sort of Collett as well because he was genuinely one of the standout players um, in obviously that flurry of wins we had in the start of the season. Um, so it's kind of, I'm pleased to sort of, his, he's sort of being rewarded for that. Um, obviously, since then, he's been on the fringes, but 
definitely a prospect. And every time he's been in the team, he's never looked out of place. Um, you know, you never sort of think, oh, you know, he, we've got a weakling. We've got these sort of players coming in. And and I, I personally was quite pleased to see him sort of rewarded with a with another with a season extension. Yeah. Um, on the timing of all these extensions, do you think it's because the season is delayed this year? I normally you get all this news kind of after the season finishes, players take stock and then decide whether they're going to move on or they, they get their agents out and their feelers and what have you. But because this year everything's been moved back a couple of months, do you think that's the reason for the um, the extensions being mentioned two weeks before the end of the year? Possibly, because I think a lot of these contracts obviously were done pre-COVID and you know the anticipation the season would be finished or by June. Um, obviously, we're into June now and um, season's still going. So... <laughs> You know, you obviously can't have these players going out of contract with either the season still going or only a couple of weeks after the season. So they've probably had to um, sort of just get it all done, sort of done and dusted now. And maybe just want to get done and dusted as soon as possible. There was the opportunity to kind of like, I mean, we know we're going to be staying up. We, you know, we know the position that the club is going to be next season. So maybe the club and the players are all in a position to just say, yeah, we know, we know what's happening. Let's, let's sort of get this side now, you know, sort of why delay. So maybe it's sort of a combination of those factors, really. Outside of the Falcons, there's one um, kind of amusing, kind of interesting quirk that's come up. It's not just Gloucester that have had the COVID issues um, in the West Country. Hartbury have also had them. And their final game was scheduled to be against Saracens. Um, it was abandoned. And in the championship, um, the agreement that all the clubs came to was that in that event, both clubs it was declared nil all and there were no points given. The outcome of that being that Saracens have ended up finishing second in the championship, not first. They'll still be in the same position, but it's the other way around. So they'll be at home first, not second, which could be argued to be disadvantageous. However, a few things have thrown, come up from this. Uh, Saracens are threatening legal action. Not quite sure why. I guess they want to be the, seen as the, the winners of the championship. Perhaps some money involved, I don't know. But it also throws up the question of, had a couple of other teams this year, against Saracens, not fielded a team for uh, coronavirus reasons, then... Saracens would have very much been looking down the uh, the abyss. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I find it it's I guess slightly ironic that Saracens going for legal action, of course, after their history, and also the fact that they're sort of Ealing obviously threatened us with legal action as well because they wanted to get promoted. So a lot of a lot, lot of legal action going around the past year or so. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I personally don't think it's going to make a slightest bit of difference. I think Saracens will win pretty comfortably in both those legs. I think they're just sort of... I mean, I, I suppose I can see where they're coming from. But then again, I, I, in terms of, you know, obviously you want to have the advantage of, of as you say, the, the home second leg. But, you know, if, if as, as you say, everyone agreed to those rules of the season, why should Saracens be any different in the fact that you know, they've had uh, a COVID cancellation. I mean, would they be threatening legal action if Ealing had a couple of COVID cancellations? I suspect not. Um, so it's just usual sort of rubbish, really. Um, and <clears throat> I don't know, maybe in some ways it's sort of a bit of a mind games as well. I, I don't know, because I would, I'm sure I, Saracens would expect and everyone would expect them to win that final pretty comfortably. I mean, whether it's at home or whether it's in Fiji or whether it's in space or whatever, I'm sure Saracens would probably win it pretty comfortably. So I think it's probably just a big fuss about nothing, really. Unless Saracens end up with COVID in the camp, because it seems like after in the championship this year, there's been not a single game postponed apart from the last one between Hartbury and Saracens. If Saracens end up importing some COVID from somewhere or 
I don't know, should we should we find find some willing volunteers who are going to go and get sneezed on by everyone in town and then go to the Saracens training ground and cough on them all? Well, it is interesting, isn't it? I mean, what happens if Saracens have to get COVID or whatever and the finals called off or something because Saracens are the ones got COVID? Does exactly. that mean you get promoted? Um, or, does it, or you could have, for example, Saracens win the first leg and then get ill for the second leg and then do Ealing then win the second leg and then how do you do the points difference? And, or yeah. or, or um, do Saracens players then go on Lions tour and they're suddenly Ealing are playing the Saracens Yeah, court. well, that's the other thing, isn't it? You know, they're right for, for Lions but they're not for final or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We'll have to see. It's worth keeping an eye on there, isn't it? It could be a bit of an amusement quality and entertainment factor to it. But... Uh, yeah. As I say, I think it's just a lot of it's just a fuss about nothing, really. Right, so if we just round up the scores from the rest of the Premiership action this weekend, um, on oh, last weekend, on Friday night, uh, Gloucester beat London Irish 30 points to 28, whilst Sale beat Bristol 22 points to 12. And um, I suggest you watch the highlights of that one if you if you haven't already, because there's some excellent bits of play in it from both teams. Um, Harlequins on Saturday beat Bath 44-33, points all over the place. Um and then Worcester lost narrowly at home to Leicester, 17-18. Um, finally, Northampton won 30 points to 25 against Wasps. Um, on Sunday, I'm just not going to talk about that result. Um, doesn't doesn't warrant discussion, which um, leaves the table as it stands. Obviously, as we've alluded to a little bit earlier in the show, um, Bristol are top with 76, followed by Exeter with 73. Sale then have 68, with Harlequins right behind on 66. Northampton are then 12 points adrift on 54, with Leicester behind them on 48. London Irish have 44, Wasps have 43, Bath have 43 also, Gloucester have 41, we've got 39, and Worcester are confirmed bottom with 23. So, as we said, very much top four or top four. Things can still switch around a bit within it. Northampton looking like they're going to end up fifth unless they have a, an absolute shambles for the next two matches. And then it gets a bit closer with um, basically from London Irish and seventh down to us. There's very much potential that these teams can move around a bit. And I think there still is the potential for us to finish top eight, as we've mentioned. But certainly, um, I think it's somewhat out of our control now, unfortunately. So it's a much shorter episode. We don't really talk about the match because it's so dire. So um, thank you for listening. And uh, catch you again in a few days after our quick turnaround after the Worcester game. Yeah, bye everyone.